is marked part two. We recorded last week, and I think I probably said the same thing, so in the interest of not confusing you, it is champ week. We are already through several bids being locked up, including here on Monday night as we record the Sun Belt and the SoCon as Louisiana Lafayette won a thriller over South Alabama in the Sun Belt. And the Furman Paladins won the SoCon championship over a feisty number seven seed Chattanooga to lock up their bid. Also joining them in March Madness so far as we record Kennesaw State out of the A-Sun, Fairleigh Dickinson out of the NEC, Southeast Missouri State out of the uh, Ohio Valley, Drake out of the Missouri Valley, and there's and there's one more I'm missing, isn't there? You said Fairleigh Dickinson, you said Louisiana Lafayette, you said Furman, uh, you say Kennesaw, you say Drake, um, Southeast Missouri. Yep. And uh, Asheville, right? That's it. Oh, Asheville was the one for the Big South. So, yes, I had the Atlantic Sun with Kennesaw. My apologies. Anyway. They're one seed pulling through. Well, I guess Kennesaw was the one seed. So. Kennesaw was the one, but didn't feel like the one. Um, yeah, Drake, was like two, top Drake was the two, but the whole didn't year feel like the analytics. Yes. Liberty had a great season, just came up short. It is interesting, and I saw someone note this on Twitter. I forget who, so I apologize for not giving you credit. But, like, the ASUN has an unbalanced schedule because they have, I think, 14 teams. That meant that Liberty only played Kennesaw once. It was on the road at Kennesaw. They lost a very close game. That meant that Kennesaw got the number one seed. So then Kennesaw got to host the championship game, which, again, they won in a very close game. How different are things with the uh, with a balanced schedule? Who knows? But that, bids are being fun. Tristan tweeted that. I think oh. I've never seen tr- That might have been it. Well, shout uh, out to shout out to Tristan Tr- Freeman, our favorite uh, our favorite salad eating podcast listener. Uh, Tristan, rooting for for the Pitt Panthers to get in the NCAA tournament. It does feel very wake and uh, Notre Dame esque from last year, but we are uh, coming down to the wires. So we have bids being punched, um, or tickets being punched, bids being locked up for the NCAA tournament. Here in Champ Week, we also have obviously the at-large push and the bubble. Plus, plenty more games to gamble on over at the uh, BovadaSportsBook.com. Lots to get into today on the show, Brad. Um, but what was your favorite Champ Week moment so far? How about that? Favorite Champ Week moment so far? I mean, my... Uh... I wouldn't say this is the least favorite because it wasn't even a moment. I mean, we got to pour one out for the Ohio Valley. I mean, that was must-watch tele. I mean, they they would like always have that Murray Belmont or Belmont Moorhead or whatever combination of the two. They would always have that game up against Duke UNC, ESPN versus ESPN two. And most years, I'd watch the Ohio Valley over the second Duke UNC game. Uh, but now the the valley is is so is so run down. Um, I I didn't even consider watching that. No matter if it was Tennessee Tech or Southeast Missouri, they're going right to the sixteen probably sixteen Dayton. Um, so I mean, such such little stakes there in the valley. I mean, yes. normally but at it's the like same time, Belmont trying to get their eleven seed. You know, but at the same time. 
it was a great reminder. Like that was a whale of a ball game down the stretch. Like the shot making at the end, the foul on the three point shot to send Harris to the free throw line after Tennessee Tech had taken the lead. Then the buzzer beater to tie that could have been to win if he was a foot further back. And then the overtime. I mean, it was tremendous theater. And it was a good reminder of like, look, I mean, I watch a lot of mid-major basketball, probably more than most. I still, like, I, I can't say I've watched SEMO more than once this year. And it was because I was sweating out a bet when they played Arkansas State. Like, and it wasn't like December. Like, I, I, I could have named maybe two players on the team. Like, but there was still like incredible theater because of the stakes and really, really fun basketball game. Just get it, get it going. Um. That was definitely I was a Liberty Kenny saw too. Um, yes. I didn't. I didn't watch the Drake game. You know that that was like a blowout from the jump. Uh, you know, good good for Drake though, right? This is kind of what we thought they'd be last year. Um, and Tucker DeVries is an absolute stud. They got all all the vets around him back back from that COVID team. Um, here's a here's an interesting stat actually, Brad. Uh, that DeVries mentioned to me post game. So Drake has had at least one starter injured for Arch Madness every single year of Breeze's tenure until this year. That sounds right. Um, like last, the, the two notable ones were was Wilkins last year towards ACL, and then two years ago was Roman Penn, and they survived and because of Yesifu. Didn't um, Sh- Shikwan Hemphill, um, wasn't he hurt too? Or, 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 or did he, he just had, come back? He had just come back, I think, in 21, but I don't remember for sure. They were gutted with injury. They have really had tough luck. Um, Ro- Roman Penn was actually joking in the press conference that he he's had he's broken his foot so many times that it feels routine whenever he gets the text like oh yeah you broke your foot again. Um, but he is healthy and I mean they're just so old. Roman Penn, Roman Penn and DJ Wilkins graduated high school before Donald Trump was elected president. <laughs> That's awesome. Their starting lineup is older than five NBA teams. Um, it it is it is truly truly remarkable, but give them a ton of credit. They were the best team at the Valley Tournament by far. Um, Bradley was really good. I, I think I do. I will say I say this, and I was talking to a coach in the league about it while we were there. It has been really good for the Missouri Valley to have Belmont in the league, to have Murray in the league, and to have Indiana State really modernizing what they do offense offensively with hiring Josh Shirts because. There was a stretch there when it was like Porter and Mullins and Wardle when they had a little less talent and Northern Iowa where you're looking up and you're like, man, oh, man, like these games are just rock fight, rock fight, rock fight. And, you know, that Belmont Indiana State game, it was a quarterfinal on Friday afternoon, was really one of the better games I've seen all weekend. It was so, so high level, free flowing speed. Um talent shot making like it was just tremendous basketball and you know you saw a little bit of that from indiana state when they played bradley on saturday um and drake obviously has some offensive firepower as well so it's been good for the league it is a good mid-major league i know the ranking showed them be it being like a down year for the valley this year i think most of that has to do with the fact that evansville was historically bad you added uic who was terrible valpo was awful um you know Things like that made the league look pretty bad, but I thought the top five to six teams in that league were really good and really competitive, and it made for for a great conference tournament. So, so congrats to Drake. That'll be the 12th seed. I think everyone tries to pick, given their experience, given their talent level. Um, 
but that was fun. So I, I do like this Drake team a lot. DeVries is, is a difference maker without question. Didn't didn't the the commissioner of the Valley add UIC because people complained that all the schools are from the middle of nowhere? I mean, they wanted the Chicago market, sure. And I remember Matt Norlander had a story that they were they were going to add Missouri, Kansas City, if they like promised that they improved their arena and, and their facilities, which I guess didn't didn't come to pass. Um, but obviously Belmont and Murray are much different ads than UIC or a potential uh, UMKC. Um, so speaking of, I mean, leagues that are just completely un, un, unconscionable. Um, I think when Cincinnati went in and took Kane Broom from Sacred Heart, I think that destroyed the Northeast Conference. And now, like, what was the Northeast Conference really? But I think you texted me over the weekend. They don't have a single team in the top 300 in Ken Palm. Merrimack and Stonehill were first and second in the league, and they're not even eligible for the NCAA tournament because they're too green coming up from D2. This is Stonehill's first year after being, like, middle of the pack D2. I watched Stonehill when they played Providence. They played no defense at all. Yes. And they, like, won – they came in second in that league. And you don't even get any March Madness drama because they have so few teams. They put Merrimack in the conference tournament, I guess, to have a, a more robust bracket. And now they're playing in the championship game, so the bid's already been assigned. Um, it, is, it is it is remarkable. So, so number one is Merrimack, who's Division Two transition. It's their second year out of four that they've won the league. Number two, like you mentioned, is Stonehill. You're one of a D2 transition. Who, and like you said, also plays no defense. Um, and number three is Fairleigh Dickinson, who's going to go to the tournament. And Fairleigh Dickinson, their two best players are Division II transfers, and their coach came from Division II last year. The, the NEC and the NE10, which is the Northeast's top Division II conference, are functionally the same thing at this point. Well, like, for, for, for instance, like Stonehill, like, as a school, I... I I remember seeing Adam Finkelstein tweet about St. Thomas getting a new arena. Basically, like, St. Thomas as a school is basically like Xavier, Butler, Providence, except they have more money. Yes. Stonehill is a very similar school to Providence. Like, if you have, like, decent or good grades, the guidance counselor is giving you Stonehill, Fairfield, Bryant, Providence, Bentley. They're all, like, these small couple thousand students northeast that that – that are pretty good academics. Um, so I guess Stonehill has, has some upside, but, you know, coming their first year after being a middling D2 team uh, and coming in second, that that's a really bad look for your league. And it's also kind of a bad look for Bryant, where if they were in this league still, they would have, like, obliterated the league and be going back to the NCAA tournament. Instead, they... You know they they move to a tougher a tougher one bid league and come in sixth place. Um, and the NEC loses its best program. That's and Mount St Mary's has moved. Obviously a few years back, Monmouth and Quinnipiac moved up. So I mean, league kind of should be folded. <laughs> if if you can have one top three hundred team. We have some serious issues here. 
Well, uh, did, did you read the thing that so so St. Francis, Brooklyn, um, their campus like sold the place where their arena used to be. So they've been playing at the Pratt Institute, which is a division three school. And so like they their players all like Uber and like take the subway to practice and to the games. And all the games are played at like one in the afternoon because that's when they have the gym. <laughs> like this is yeah this is this is unserious stuff and i do think there at some point there does kind of need to be a reckoning like these leagues are just being allowed to like bloat division one by like poaching up like the ohio valley took lindenwood you know the nec's taking stonehill and we'll probably you know next up steal like new haven or something like it's there is kind of a the the rest of the year feels stupid, but in March there is at least some some juice to these games, and that's juice is lost because of this Division Two transition rule. So, um, I'm trying to think, there's any other notes we want to get to on these first six bids handed out? Asheville, I don't necessarily see as a team that's winning a game. I know a lot of people have seen, oh yeah, yeah, Asheville could win a game. I think that's early bias. Like they have a they have a good team, they have a terrific player in Drew Pember. Like that's not a that's not a team built though to win a win a win a, win a game in the in the tournament. I think kind of saw maybe. If they get the matchup that, that they like, I think obviously Drake, and I think Louisiana, ha, Louisiana and Furman will be at least potential matchup ones to watch. I, I think Furman, obviously their skill level is really impressive. Um, they've won high major games before and they're old. So, I mean, I've I've always been a Greg Williams guy. Back back scoreless today. Scoreless. Back at his time at St. John's, uh, he he's a terrific blue guy. Jordan Brown was obviously McDonald's All-American. Remember that? He was on Nevada, and he was going to play the four next to, uh, was it Trey Porter? All right, that was their whole plan, and then Musk, like, dumped it after, like, two games. Well, yeah, basically, yeah. Cause, well, I don't think Musk ever believed that Jordan Brown was going to play the four. He just needed something that could convince Jordan Brown to come. And then, and then for a second, I thought this was Terrence Lewis. Uh, of Iowa State, because uh, I, I was like, Jackson. wait a second, didn't he transfer to South Alabama? Now they're playing, and now he's his old team, but now it's different. Terrence Lewis. Oh well. Um. Anyway, lots more to get to. We'll have the um CAA championship game tomorrow. That will likely be in the books by the time you're listening to this. Um. You know, Colgate has been rolling through the Patriot League. Oral Roberts got a bit of a scare, but they've been rolling through the Summit. Um. And then obviously everything coming up this weekend with the big conference tournaments uh, and whatnot. So lots to get to on the bubble. We should probably start there. And I think my number one take, and this happens every year, but I think it's been even more inflated this year, is that people have no – it is overreaction city with these with these bubble takes. This is not to say that, you know, Rutgers might miss the tournament or Penn State might make the tournament or, you know, Providence might miss. Or I'm not saying that. But there are a lot of, like, every time a game goes final, like, legitimate people being like, yup, Penn State's guaranteed a bid now. Yup, Rutgers is toast. Yup, this game's an elimination game. Yup, this. Uh. No, no, no. Let's slow down. Remember, everything happens in the context of everything else. And one game does not massively change your hopes 
that much. And with the with a few exceptions, right? Like if you're Auburn and you're generally on the right side of the bubble and then you beat Tennessee, yes, now you are a lock. Now you are not missing the tournament. Yes, if Wisconsin had lost to Minnesota when they were right on the cut line, probably leaning no. If they had lost to Minnesota, yeah, that's probably an ender. But I mean, when they fouled Jameson Battle on that steal. Oh, yeah. Imagine if that's how you go out. Minnesota stealing two bids from the Big Ten, yeah. One last parting <laughs> gift from Ben Johnson. Um, like, we got to slow some of these down, though, right? Like, Penn State beating – 25th in the net Penn, uh, Maryland at home does not make them an NCAA tournament lock. You know, the Providence losing to Seton Hall, but still having four quad one wins does not make them an NCAA. Does that mean they're eliminated? And part of it is because not only do we have the, the regular bracketologists, we have a mass influx of NIT bracketologists, which are basically just NCAA tournament bracketologists spun a different way do we actually have a lot of those oh i've seen like six isn't it all based on geography now well somewhat but like they're projecting out who's gonna make the nit which is really just saying who do you think is not gonna make the instantly turn well here here here's the issue right we got what you're saying with it's a little too reactionary and people are doing Right, they're not doing the, the daily reset. They're saying, okay, this team lost, I must move them down X. This team won, I will move them up X. They haven't, you know, taken a step back and looked at the holistic approach. On the other side, and this is one of the things I definitely want to touch on today, people don't understand, and this goes with the net too, because you don't actually get the number of the net, you get the net ranking, right? The distance between 35 and 36 and 36 and 37 on the seed list is not necessarily the same. This isn't a freaking yardstick, guys. Yes. It could be an inch between 35 and 36 and a millimeter between 36 and 37. So in theory, yeah, a team can be an eight seed one day, have a bad loss, and fall to a 10. Like, that is absolutely possible. We're not, we're not, we're not working with consistent intervals here. Correct. Well, and that's also, like, easily, easily noticed when you look at Ken Palm. There are, there are oftentimes these, because you can actually see the adjusted efficiency Number. margin for all these teams, sometimes you're looking and say, oh, there is a bigger gap between those than between, you know, the others. And obviously, like you said, with resumes, that's part of it. But also, I think, like you said, with the net, like there are times where teams are moving four spots based on like nothing. And other times when teams aren't moving based on a blow, it's because, again, the margins can get bigger or small. Like there's, there's a almost 0.5 different, over 0.5 difference um, in adjusted efficiency on Ken Palm between Texas A&M and TCU right now. But then there's only another 0.5 between number 25 TCU and number 30 Indiana. So you could, you could have the same level boost of a performance as Indiana and move from 30 to 25 as you could from for TCU and move from 25 to 24. Right. People don't seem to understand that. People, yeah, the, yeah, we've got we've got the overreactionary people. We've got the people who just complain about the net, and then we have the bracketology people who spend way too much time looking at the metrics that nobody actually pays attention. To. Right? <laughs> They're like, well, the KPI. Listen, the committee doesn't give a fuck about KPI. 
They don't, <laughs> they don't care about Jalen Clark. They don't know who Jalen Clark is, I bet. I bet if any athletic director who's not a Pac-12 athletic director has no idea who one of the top 100 players in the country are. <laughs> they have no idea. I saw Kempom tweeted like, isn't it stupid that the NCAA committee will move, will adjust a seat based on if a player that or not? Like, yeah, they say they do that. They do not do that. They do not move seeds based on player availability. They I mean, these, sure, yeah, we'll consider KPI. We'll consider Ken Palm. We'll consider wins above. Sure, you know, we do road record. We do road in neutral. We do quad 1A, quad 1B. Yeah, sure, we do all that stuff. They, they don't do any of that stuff. I mean, come on. It is, it is really something else. Like, I'm open to the possibility that Jalen Clark is a guy that the committee would notice. Like he's averaging like pretty impressive numbers on a top five team, but no, the, the, the idea that like, the, like, like I actually would be curious to know. Cause I mean, cause all these bracketologists also love to, uh, they love to say, Oh yeah, the committee did this in next year. I'd be curious to know if, like, if the committee has ever mentioned the KPI or the strength of record. Uh, like I'm sure it plays into a certain extent, right? You don't have an outlier number on there, but like, yeah, yeah, like actually, actually, like I know that Providence has four quad one wins, but their their strength of record is very poor. No, but like that's that's the point, right? Is you don't want any outliers. You don't want them to, yeah. to be able to play the game, right? Where you say, oh, Providence doesn't have any quad one or uh, wins over a tournament team on the road, um, and then you say, well, Maryland doesn't either. You say, oh, but Maryland beat Miami on neutral. And then say, well, of course Maryland Providence are different because Maryland is so much higher in the net. Say, well, Providence is so much higher than Wisconsin in the net. But Wisconsin has this. You don't want to get in that game. So now the fact that Providence has some goofy stuff on the resume. And freaking St. Louis at 102, they can't they can't squeak into the, the top 100 for me, uh, get rid of that bad loss. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at on March 1st, at 6.15, when I was settling into my seat at, at the Amica Mutual Pavilion for Providence Xavier, the thoughts going through my head were, okay, let's beat Xavier, let's beat Seton Hall, and, and maybe we'll, you know things will break right and, and, and we'll be a six seed, but I hope we don't have to play the 11 playing game. That, that's, that's, that's what I was thinking on March 1st. Uh, uh, now, on March 6th at 9.45 p.m., I'm like, please don't put us in the playing game. Uh, you know, talk talk about a an absolute I don't know avalanche a, 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 a implosion I don't I don't even know the word to use I mean I was on on Saturday I, I was like Walter White in the uh, crawl space with every seat in Hall Three that was that was a brutal performance. And you didn't even watch it. You don't even know truly how, how brutal it was. So I think Providence will probably be okay. Do you think that they'll be out of the playing game? Uh, I don't feel super confident in that, but I also like keep looking up at – there are a lot of different teams that I sit there and say, well, that's a team you could sit, send to the playing game, right? Yeah. You know, like Pitt is a good example. Yeah, I could think of a ship Pitt to the playing game. 
Arizona State, yeah, they, they can just ship Arizona State to playing it. Rutgers, yeah, they, they can ship Rutgers to the playing game. Um, Oklahoma State, yeah, they, they, they can push them to the playing game. Nevada, yeah, there's, like, there's like 10 Utah teams. Utah State, there's a lot of these teams that feel kind of playing gamey. Um, but here, here's the also elephant in the room is Matt Norlin had tweeted out the selection committee's itinerary yes. uh, for how, how they plan to uh, tackle the selection. And I didn't, I didn't look too much into it, but basically people were saying, oh, yeah, yeah, look, see, they, they're not going to consider the uh, later conference tournament games again. Um, you know, because the thing was, like, okay, Wednesday we're going to pick the, the 40 teams or whatever, and then we'll wait till Saturday to see the, the bracket. Like, they're, they're just going to sit there and, and wait and watch conference tournament games until Saturday before they start basically, like, the most important part of the – also, why why do they need why do they need to um why do they pick the teams and then put them in order? Right. Was it was that what did did you understand that the same way? Yeah. Why why don't you just say like okay well you know number one we have Houston number it's two it's such a have... Mickey Mouse process it's an unbelievable Mickey Mouse process the fact that they're trying to sell us no no we have to pick all forty eight teams uh. You know, or I, I, I guess it's 46 this year minus the the high major conference tournament champions. But at, but on Wednesday that the, the, there are no high major conference tournament champions. So it's like okay, we're picking our 45 teams, um, and we're not going to put them in order. Please please nobody put any team in order until Saturday, and, and then we'll start. Well, like. The fact that that's drawn drawn out over four days is just you know them increasing their billable hours. Everyone knows who who these teams are. You could do a bracket in like an hour. You don't need to take four days to do it. <laughs> and and you know in a previous podcast I did voice my support for having a formula do the bracketing and the selection. I've I I've rescinded that request. Um, Why? Because you saw that Santa Clara was in on the Winds Above Bubble? No, I, I didn't see that. Um, I, I, I rescinded that because I don't know where, where that would put my friars. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we might be back on the wave in a week. We'll see. Yeah, uh, next March, we'll, we'll say, all right. Well, like, the, the numbers hate Ed Cooley. You know, metrics hate him. Ken Palm didn't until... Uh, <laughs> until Saturday, they, they, they went from 32 to 44 or something in one game. Especially this time of year, that is not. But anyway, I, I, so I, I've worked it down to um, I have 28 teams right now that I feel pretty comfortable that they're NCAA tournament teams, regardless of what happens conference tournament time. That's it. Well, it depends on how conf- like where your confidence interval is. But like, so right now I have Memphis, Duke, Virginia, UConn, or 28 at larges outside of the automatic bits. So like that includes like Kansas would not be in that, Miami would not be in that, Purdue would not so be in that. Add, right. So add eight to that, right? Sure. Or nine. Well, realistically, there's eight. None of the none of the teams I have on this list are teams that would get at large or that wouldn't get an at large. But so you didn't have Gonzaga, Houston, UCLA, Marquette. FAU. 
So basically, you're down to eight, eight bids left. And that would come from some group of, and this is my current bubble, um, NC State, UNC, Pitt, Clemson, Providence, Rutgers, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, Oklahoma State, Charleston, if they don't win the CAA, Utah State, Nevada, Oregon, Arizona State, and Mississippi State. So you have Boise State solidly in? I do. The, so Boise's top 30 in the metrics. They're three and four against quad one and eight and two against quad two. In all, they're 11 and six against the top two quadrants. That's very, very similar to Colorado State's resume last year. They got a six seed. I'm not saying that Boise is getting a six seed, but I, I feel better about them getting like an into the eight, nine game than I do about them missing the tournament. You, um, you, you locked in West Virginia, right? Yes. Well, see, the thing with Boise, right, is they got a loss of South Dakota State at home, loss in neutral Charlotte. So those, so those are only two bad losses, right? Because San, San Jose State on the road is not a bad loss anymore. Correct. It's a quad two. Solidly quad two. And their wins are San Diego State at home, Nevada at home, Utah State at home. Texas A&M on the road. Yeah, so Texas A&M on a neutral is what kind of put them. That's a in. great. And that, at this point, that is a great win. That's a, that's a retroactive win. They, Who that, cares? Talk about lucky. <laughs> I mean, that's when Texas A&M was losing to Wofford. No, no, it, it, they caught them at a great time, no doubt. Yeah. But I, I think overall body of work, you've beaten San Diego State, you won at New Mexico, you, or you didn't win at New Mexico, so you beat San Diego State, New Mexico. Um, you beat Utah State. Like, those are good. You want at St. Louis, which is quad two, I believe. Yeah. The AM. Solid rest. And they beat Colorado on a neutral. And Washington State at home. You didn't lock in Mississippi State, right? No. They were on that bubble. So, uh, the, then- right now, I, so right now on my board, I have. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen teams, including Charleston, for eight spots. I think your math's wrong. Why? Because everything I've seen with the first four out, next four outs, there's only like three or four teams that have a shot. Right, it's usually some combination of like Rutgers, Arizona State, and like Utah State. I mean, and I then, think I was close to locking Utah State. Really? They're 21st in the metrics. They're not leaving out 21st in the metrics. Hmm. I love Utah State. 26 in T ranking. There, I. I I'm pretty sure, pretty confident about my numbers here. It might just be that I'm not locking teams that you would lock, but I don't know. I mean, they have two quadrant four losses and one quadrant UNC. four. No doubt, no doubt. But are we? If they leave out a team that's 25th in the net, we're gonna have some problems. Next, next thing I want to talk about, right, 
everyone talks about, oh, there's always bid thieves, always bid thieves. One year we have to have no bid thieves, right? <laughs> and, and the fact that the, the American, the WCC, the A-10, the Valley, the fact that those leagues are kind of where they are, where some being unusually one bid and others like the WCC and the American having a very large gap between the two tournament teams and everybody else. I mean, really, out, outside of Conference USA, yeah. if, if, if we're going to get a year with no bid thieves, this, this has got to be the year. So it's Conference USA. It's potentially CAA with Charleston. I personally don't think they should be in, but I think if they're a 30-win team, there's going to be a big old stink. And Belmont, when they got it, that, that was kind of similar to Charleston now. There was the year that Belmont was in the first four against Temple. That was 2019. Bear, bear with me as I pull this up on T-Rank here. Yeah, so Belmont was 50th in T-Rank that year. Um, they had two Quadrant 1 wins, two Quadrant 3 losses. Well, well, well their, their record wasn't as gaudy this year. It was... T-Rank, why, why aren't you showing me the total record? They lost like five games. So, so they must have been whatever. 27-5. They got it. They, they had the two quadrant one wins. Um, looking at this. Oh, they, well, they, they won at UCLA, but that was a quadrant two win. UCLA was 102. That must have been the last year of Alford. And like they, they had some questionable losses. Yeah, but I, I mean, if this team could get in, I think... So, so yeah, Charleston potential. Really, their were their best one being Virginia Tech at home is the, is the big stumbling block. Um, it's USA, and then I'm guessing, right? I'm guessing it's, you know, could it be Carolina? Could it be Villanova? Not even Villanova. I tend to agree. I mean, they're uh, playing better, but and they just beat Creighton, but they they would have to beat uh, obviously Georgetown to start, which they should should obviously handle. But then Creighton, then probably Xavier, then probably UConn. I mean, that's that's a serious road. True. Um. What else what else do we need to get to here big picture before getting to these conference tournaments for the weekend? Um I did I did just wanna make a statement on Big East Defensive Player of the Year. Yes, you did. Um even though Devin Carter is one of my favorite friars of all time, I love watching him play. He's he, he's a terrific defender, like elite defender. When you're going up against a guy in Ryan Kalkbrenner, who's the anchor of the 10th best defense in Ken Palm in the entire country. And Providence defense is hot garbage. I don't blame 
anyone forgiving Cockburn with a nod over Devin Carter. Even though Devin Carter is like an exciting, you know, he gets these steals, he's dunking, he's rebounding, he's running running around screens, he's doing it all. He's a, honestly a terrific defender. Uh, but I think on this one, his teammates let him down with our sub-100 Kempom defense. So I do think that there is a big-picture problem with Defensive Player of the Year awards, and that is that they just go to the guys who are accumulating statistics. So blocks and steals, particularly blocks, right? It just winds up being whichever big guy stacks blocks, and oftentimes that's minutes-related. Um, to me, that's, that's difficult. Now, that being said, I think the Kalkbrenner situation is a – Severe outlier because one, you see how much their defense falls off when Fred King's on the floor. And number two, you see how important he is possession by possession and how he impacts the game at the rim. So I understand the Jackson stuff. I understand the Devin Carter stuff. But to me, it, it was Kalkbrenner and always should have been Kalkbrenner. I mean, Devin Carter as a 6'3 guard in conference play, two steals and a block and a half a game is uh, super impressive. But I mean, and also the fact that. Uh, and this kind of explains why Creighton's D is elite and Providence's D is terrible, right? Is if you have an elite defender as a 6'3 perimeter, perimeter defender, that doesn't do as much for you as having an elite seven-foot shot blocker. The, 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 the big man defender is always going to be more valuable than the wing defender. The wing defender is always going to be more valuable than the point of attack defender. That, that's just how it is. That that's that's basketball. Agreed. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to touch on, kind of on the awards thing as well, and I've I've talked to a few different coaches about this. The coach of the year thing is just just brutal right now. Like coach we have so is which coach proved the media wrong the most. That's such a ridiculous concept for an award. Well, well but particularly because it, it mostly ignores recruiting, right? Because the media bases how good everyone's going to be based on either recruiting or how good we think the coach is. It's most of the time recruiting, right? So like Arizona, like Tommy Lloyd's not winning a national coach of the year, even though they're top 15 despite losing three NBA players. He probably won't even get a vote because – we expected them to be good because he got Courtney Ramey and we trusted Tubelas to jump and Ballo to jump. And he got, you know, these international kids and, and we figured they'd be good and they are good. We're not giving Nate Oates here for building the best roster in the country or Kelvin Sampson for going 28-2 or whatever he is. It's like, no, no, no. We, we got to give it to the guy that we thought stunk because their team looked bad and they turned out to be good. No matter why, regardless of why, right? So, like, I, I, I like it with Marquette. I like it with Shaka. But, like, with K-State, like, oh, wow, you know, Marquise, no, like, like we got to give it to to K-State. And I, I think Jerome Tang's done a great job. I think if you're a two-seed or a three-seed national so tournament at Kansas State, regardless of whether you're in year one, you're probably going to be the next national coach of the year. But, like, to go, wow, you know, he got, like, the, Keontae Johnson's playing so well. Well, yeah, I mean, Keontae Johnson was always pretty darn good. Kevin Johnson was at Florida. Would Todd Golden be national coach of the year? Maybe, yeah. You know, but but so maybe, I, but but probably Florida would would probably be picked too high, right? Like the, the whole idea of this award is that the media either had no way of knowing the team would be good because they're not around them every day, and 
I mean, they only know as much as you can research from the outside. That's one, that they had no way of knowing that Marquette would be really good. Or two, it is don't follow recruiting, and they have no freaking idea that Marquette's whole roster was, like, pretty good recruits. Um, and then, I think- like, the whole idea of, like, this award – is based on the situation that we were most wrong about is insane. I think the other thing too um, is it's gotten much worse recently because when you had more roster continuity, you could kind of look up and be like, all right, well, you know, these teams bring this back. These teams don't. And if a team that is very newcomer heavy when most teams had mostly older players was winning. Well, that made some sense to be the coach of the year, but now it's like your job is, is far more based in recruiting than it's ever been, right? Your job is to flip rosters and have competitive teams every year. So if you don't do that and then you like sneak your way into the tournament, whatever, you know, like that, that's part of your job. Like, like what, what Nate Oates did to turn Alabama into a championship level team by recruiting, I think, that's coach of the year. Like that's coach of the year worthy. I mean, Jerome Tang, to, to his credit, did that. To, to Shaka's credit, to, to an extent, he did that. But, like, the idea that, like, we build coach of the year based on the fact that, like, you know, we thought that Northwestern was going to suck because Chris Collins did nothing for five years and refused to take anyone in the portal other than Titus Verhoeven. And then they won. Oh, well, that means he's, like, the best coach in the country. It's it's, it's a very flawed award. Right. The, the... If the goal is to have the best team in the country or the best team in your conference, and you do that, weren't you the coach of the year? Didn't didn't you achieve the goal? The coach of the the goal of the coach of the year is to like take transfers that like people don't believe in, not not have a lot coming back, and then like cobble it together and get a seven seed. Like I'm, I'm, if if Pitt wasn't playing so well, I, Kevin Keats could have been the coach of the year, presumably. And it's it's because he, you know, took Jarkel Joyner, Jack Clark, and DJ Burns, who people didn't have very highly on their transfer list, and they turned out to be pretty good. That's totally based on we didn't r- respect the talents and the fit of these players with the returning NC state roster and, and to kind of acknowledge our flaws as a basketball analyst, we present you with this award. (laughs) Oh, that's too funny. Um, anyway, that's, that's, that's our spiel on the, on awards. Let's talk about these conference tournaments for this week. Let's talk primarily about the high major tournament. First, sorry, sorry, sorry. First, can we talk about the WAC tournament? Yes. So the WAC tournament, I love this. This is this is just perfect. So the WAC is seeding based on non-conference as well as conference, which yes. that's 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 how you align the incentives. Instead well, it, of the conference yeah, it, commissioner being like, please, please schedule tough. Come on, guys, please schedule some tough games. Can you please, you know, we want to get a second bid someday. Can you ma- maybe do a quadrant one game here, please, pretty please. They say, if you don't do it, we're going to dock your points on, on the conference tournament standings. How do you like that? 
to be clear, it's basically like efficiency, and it it, it it actually works like a wins above bubble. Their standings, but it's for the season. So a few few things. Number one is, yes, the non-conference is baked into it, which does does matter. But number two, the regular season champion is still the regular season champion, and they still get the NIT bid. So Utah Valley came in first in the league. They're getting the second seed in the tournament because Sam Houston had a better non-conference. But Utah Valley gets the non gets the NIT bid. So it's an interesting compromise. I wouldn't even compromise. I'd go all the way in. You'd send Sam Houston NIT. Utah Valley should have – well, Utah Valley did win at Oregon, though, right? Yes. But Sam Houston won at Utah and at Oklahoma. I guess I'm okay with uh, Utah Valley. Game. That 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 is a good team. I uh, did watch that game against Oregon way back. Me too. When. Yeah, it, it, it'll be an interesting thing to see how it goes. I mean, again, I'm not sure how much it really matters, right? Like, why? I I actually think, Brad, I, I think the the goal of it is not necessarily as the labeled goal is to protect the one seed, to protect the best team. But I wonder if it's less about, oh, make sure Sam Houston gets the one, and more so, make sure that you don't end up in situations where, you know, the number eight seed is, like, super analytic darling. You know, like, for instance, the Sun Belt is a great example of this. South Alabama was 100th in Ken Palm coming into the weekend. They were the eighth seed in the Sun, Sun Belt because they lost a bunch of close games early. But they played a bunch of teams really close. The non-conference was really good teams. New Mexico, Oklahoma. But they played some high-level games. Alabama. So, basically, they were sending the number one number one seed, Southern Miss, out to, out to the pasture there. You're playing a quarterfinal against the top 100 team. So, I wonder if the, if the impact is more felt by making the path easier because you don't get these under-seeded teams. Not by making the path easier. Oh, you get the one seeds, so you get the buy, or you get this, or you play the. You know, I think I think the impact would be more felt down the bracket, which no one will pay attention to. That's an excellent point. And and I I also obviously love the WCC style bracketing of like the ladder. Like we're 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 protecting the top seeds so much, you can win like six games before you can even get on the court with them. Yes. The laddered schedule is really quite a thing. Um, and that tournament is going on as we speak. So Not going to be a good thief there. You wouldn't think, although maybe uh, maybe San Francisco can shock the world. Pull the Shabazz with a couple of buckets. Anyway, um, on the high major, well, let's do the Mountain West quick. Mountain West is kind of the fringe high major. They're going to get somewhere between two and four bids. You'd think probably three. Like Both guys, both teams messing out would be brutal. Um you do have this like looming, um, looming threat in New Mexico, who's the number six seed, but is incredibly obviously talented. Had a great non-conference, twelve to one over at Bovada to win the Mountain West tournament. Um, they will play Utah State if they beat Wyoming, and then potentially Boise, and then a championship. San Diego State is going to play the winner of Nevada and San Jose, assuming they can get past either Colorado State or Fresno. Uh, any big picture takes here on the Mountain West? This tournament always feels fun because there's the mix of like, yes, these teams are really good. We could see them in the tournament, but still there's like real stakes because these teams are usually either on the bubble or, you know, fighting for 
fighting for, you know, potentially getting out of the eight, nine game, right? There's very few teams that are like set in stone because they don't get as many opportunities. And these games all wind up being quad one, like New Mexico's Q1 right now, San Diego State's the Q1, Nevada's a Q1, Boise's a Q1, Utah State's a Q1. I'm uh, hoping for chalk here. I think that'd be a great semifinal. Um, yeah, I mean, even the kind of second tier teams in the Mountain West, or I guess you call them third team, third tier teams. You know, San, San Jose State was as good as it as, as like they've ever been at the Player of the Year in the conference. Amari Moore, New Mexico's obviously, um, you know, was on undefeated the last undefeated team. They have some good stuff going on on uh, their resume. UNLV. Feisty team, they just beat Nevada, um, and then you know your your boys up there in a Fort Collins have you know down down here and injured, but they they have talent. Um, so even that second tier is pretty interesting. But I I I think we should all hope for hope for for some shock for some uh, you know is it San Diego State in Nevada, is that the one four, and then Boise and Utah is the two three? I, I mean, do think there two great games. Yeah. I do think there would be some excitement if New Mexico made a run, particularly the way that their fans come out. Right, you'd have this like bid stealer kind of hovering over. They're a fun team to watch with their two guards. Right, they're old. Like I, I think there would be something cool about that. But you're right. I, I would have no. I would have. No, what I don't want is San Diego State. I mean, also, it would actually be kind of cool if San Jose won the thing. I don't see how they can, but Omari Moore's really good, and Tim Miles is a wizard. So if we got, like, San Jose to the final, that would be kind of cool. It would. Um, I, I think our most likely path is probably San Diego State and Utah State, you think, final? Probably, yeah. And that would at least simplify things from the standpoint that presumably that would lock in Utah State. And Nevada would be sitting right on that cut line. Yes. I, Nevada, poor Nevada. I mean, Nevada goes all year doing the right thing, winning at home, protecting protecting home court. Um, it was a smoke and mirrors resume. Though. That team wasn't that talented. No, no doubt. But they did, like, all year they did everything that right. Like, they didn't take a bad loss. They protected home court. They beat some decent teams in the non-con, Tulane, Akron, Grand Canyon. Like, they Sam Houston. Like, they played some high-level games. They won them. They lost to K-State in overtime. Like, they did a lot. And then all you needed to do was probably just not get swept by Wyoming and UNLV and get swept. I mean, but th- that what you just described there is like the definition of smoke and mirrors. Like, okay, we beat Grand Canyon, Tulane, Akron, and, and uh, Sam Houston. That's that's what's gonna you know g- kind of pump us up. It's a well, well, you know, the power of the- It's great like wins above bubble scheduling certainly. Yeah, the power of the uh, the power of the power of the uh, of the of the quad three game is being slept on. Yeah, 
Well, that's that's in a wins above bubble or strength of record world. I'm not sure in, in our current world um, if that really gives you enough juice. But all right, what's next? Um, how big east? Oh God. I'm going to be at work 2.30 on Thursday, keeping an eye on Yukon Province. I'll try to watch on my phone, but I don't know, man. What a disastrous end of the season. I, I still think the Friars are in, are going to get in. I, I don't want the playing game, though. The playing game is such such garbage. The, the, you're right, the, the good thing about playing Yukon is that you can't really move down. So teams are going to have to pass you. And when you have teams like a hey, Rutgers is playing Michigan in like a playout game on Wednesday or Thursday, Wisconsin's got a Ohio state team that the analytics still like. So the, the, there are other teams have more opportunities to fall off. Um, the problem, pro, yeah, probably still makes the tournament, but the, but the resume has been exposed. People called me hysterical when I said the season was over when they lost to St. Louis on November, whatever, 16th. Um, and now people are like, well, they were in the top 25 last week. How can they miss a tournament? Like, scroll up on my text to, to you from November. Um, that'll that'll explain it. Yes. The resume, it's a bit soft. You do wish you were playing anyone other than UConn, because UConn is the one team in the Big East that feels kind of overwhelming right now. Right. I, I, like, like, if you were playing Creighton or Xavier, you... you You'd still have that aura of you can't move down with this, but the game would be easier. So let me ask you this. Has Marquette somehow become underrated? Bovada has them at a plus 300 to win the Big East tournament, and I think that's crazy. People keep sitting here like trying to find ways to like hate on Marquette or like, oh yeah, no, they're not the favorite. They're limited this. They can't do this. Marquette's won 16 of its last 18 games. Those two losses were road games at Xavier and at UConn. Both games they were in, except actually, no, they were only in the uh, Xavier game. The UConn game, they up a lot of I'm thinking of a different game. Their offense is incredible. They have one of the best point guards in the country, but like no one, no one seems to want to like buy them as like, oh, that team could go to a final four. That team could win the biggest championship. Because they have no size, they have no physicality. It's a, it's a lot of craft and jump shots. And that's how UConn blew them out. That's how Providence got them the first time. Um, that's how Mississippi State got them early in the year. The teams that can physical that in our Providence can't out out physical anyone anymore. Um, but there was a time where they were playing really hard nosed physical basketball, and that's what Marquette struggles with. Um, and now I, I thought Oso got robbed. You know, he, he was, um, he got second team, which was deserved, but I, I thought he should have been most improved player in the conference. That went to Joel Soriano. Um, you mentioned Colex having a terrific year. Cam Jones is an elite scorer. Omax is good. Mitchell's a great glue guy. They, they have a nice nucleus, but, but they're really missing the physicality and they're really missing the power and athleticism. That's true. But I mean, like, I just, I'm, I don't think about games where I've watched them other than really that one Providence game. 
where I felt like, man, like they are being held back by something. Man, they, if they only had this, right? Because like, okay, like UConn beat the crap out of them on the inside with Klingon in the game I went to at Fiserv. And Marquette didn't shoot the three great. They made six threes, but they took more free throws. Um, Kolek played his, he played his really good floor game. Um, Igadero was dominating with, with 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 his ability to score around the basket. Jones is slashing. Like I, I just think they have enough to beat anyone in the country. And it, they're they're not talked about like a first year title contender. And to me, they should be. I don't think that they're a title contender. I think if anyone's a title contender in the Big East, it's 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 UConn because of what we saw early in the year, and now that that UConn team seems to be back. Uh, we'll see if that's just matchup dependent, um, and they've you know gotten some good matchups here in the Big East, or if they can extend that. The issues with UConn are that the shooting can the shooting can come and go. We've seen that you know, Aline's been hitting recently, Newton's been playing better, uh, but they've all had stretches where they've struggled. Um, and then the whole Andre Jackson conundrum, I'm not sure that's been 100% solved. I know that they went to the, like having him dribble handoff to try to create some more space, um, but I'm not sure that that can't be exploited moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I will say this. like The idea... Uh, like... When UConn started losing games and they went to like four and three in a league, right? And they lost to Marquette before the alarm bells were really going off. Like, oh my gosh, UConn stinks, UConn stinks. Like, well, they're they're losing the games they're supposed to be losing, right? These are the games on the schedule you look at, you say they're, they're going to lose these games. And once you get to the second half of conference play, they're probably going to get on a roll. And then they lost the St. John's game at home, they lost the Xavier game at home, and then the road loss at Seton Hall. It's like, okay, like they stink. They're not good, you know. They're they're you know they're not the same team, whatever. And yeah, they, they lost a couple of games they shouldn't have. And it's gonna cost them in seeding, right? They're thirteen and seven instead of fifteen and five. But this was always how the schedule was supposed to go. They were supposed to struggle early when they were playing the best teams in the league on the road in tough atmospheres, and then when they played DePaul, like 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 they've won what eight of nine? Yeah, eight of nine. They played at DePaul at Georgetown, home Marquette. Yep, you should probably win that game. At Creighton, which they lost, home Seton Hall, home Providence, road St. John's, home DePaul, road Villanova. Right? Those are the games you're supposed to win. There's not a single game on there that they shouldn't be favored in. Right, it's, it's more of the aesthetics. Right, how they looked, you know, in the second half of their road game at Providence and, you know, that Xavier game and whatnot, they they looked a little rattled. They looked a little defeated. The ball wasn't moving. They weren't defending at the same level. Now, even with a, a lighter slate, aesthetically, they're firing on all cylinders. I mean, Jordan Hawkins is on absolute heater. So I, I guess the, the real age-old question, right, is do they look incredible now because of that schedule? Uh, because it softened up, like is is schedule strength ha- has to do that much with looking defeated versus like freaking incredible? I think it's both, right? 
I think I've seen like the Yukon Twitter people tweet out that like since whatever February first they're like number two in the country or something like that. But. I guess I guess the way I would view it is this. In November and December, when I would watch UConn, it felt overwhelming. Does it feel overwhelming right now to you? Yes. Okay. I don't feel quite as overwhelmed. But maybe I just haven't watched them on good nights. That's that's the problem with the old eye test. But um, And then with Xavier, obviously, um, no more Fremantle. He's done. But they're pro they're I wouldn't say probably a better team, but there is a legitimate chance they're a better team with Jerome Hunter in there, um, as opposed to Fremantle. Especially on the defensive end, they're much better defensively. Now their depth is a little wonky, where they pretty much only have Desmond Claude right now. They've been using Edwards a little bit, Dandy a little bit, but um th- this is a pretty thin team. Uh, but they have, I mean, Sule Boom and Colby Jones. To absolutely destroyed Providence last week. Now the defense was pathetic, um, but the, but the shots all went in. I, you know they shot the absolute lights out, um, and this offense is still one of the best in the country, even against you know great defensive teams. Because when your backcourt is Sule Boom and Adam Kunkel, I mean that's a ton of shooting, and then you're gonna have all this athleticism now with Jones and Hunter, and then a, a big who can step away from the basket and Nunji. That's a that's a great offensive group there. Yeah, agree. Um, the Big Ten, Big Ten tournament. I said this on Twitter yesterday. The Big Ten, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. The Big Ten has not been a good league the last what two months. And you're starting to see this because all these teams in the metrics are kind of coalescing around the 30 mark. You know, you have Indiana at 30, Michigan State at 28, Maryland at 20, Northwestern at 43, Illinois at 32, Iowa at 35, Michigan at 38, Rutgers at 42. Michigan's 38th in Kempom? Yeah. Huh. They keep rising by playing close games on the road against good teams. And then they won on the road at Rutgers and jumped seven spots, which is interesting. Um, either way, they're all kind of coalescing around this number. So, I, again, the bids have to go to these Big Ten teams because, one, I mean, where else are they going to go? And number two, you know, at the end of the day, the non-conference has to matter. We only can use the data points we have. We can't just sit around and be like, well, actually, I don't think Penn State's that good. They don't get to go to the tournament, right? If you go 10 and 10 in this league with the wins you play, with the teams you played against, you're going to be in. But the teams you played against do not look the caliber that they are right now. It is not a high quality. It is not. It is not high quality basketball. And I was sitting there trying to figure out who to, you know, who, who to pick to win this conference tournament. I have no idea. Right, like Purdue is not playing an inspiring brand of basketball right now by any means. Indiana is weirdly inconsistent. Northwestern's lost three of four. Like I, I came to Michigan. Maryland can't win away from home. Illinois is like the most, you know, on and off team in the country. The only team I came away kind of liking was Michigan State. 
who shot the ball really well lately without the Iowa game being a blown game, without blowing the Iowa game, they come in winning six of seven, you know, playing pretty well. They have the guard play. And honestly, like, I think there's value there seven to one on Bovada. But man, like, it is not inspiring to me that this league may well get 10 bits. I mean, probably going to be nine, but still. We've, we've been saying this for months, though. We were saying, okay, 11 teams have built tournament resumes. What's the one or two that are going to be left out? And I think we started with Northwestern and Penn State. Um, at the end of the day, it looks like it might be Wisconsin and Rutgers might be the two that get left out. Um, but, like, I know you you went through your uh, your kind of cut line earlier. But just going to bracket matrix, there's only like three teams that are currently out that like you think have a shot. Like UNC doesn't have a shot, right? Clemson doesn't have a shot. Michigan need, needs to do a little bit more, right? So um, on 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 a bracket matrix, right? Wisconsin, Oklahoma State, and Arizona State are the first three teams out. They're all in a nice clump of brackets. They're each in more than 20 brackets. You you can go with those three teams, right? But um, there's not a there's not a lot of spots to go right. Like if like if Penn State loses to Illinois in their opening game, as as we said earlier, the knee jerk reaction on Twitter is going to be okay. That's it for Penn State. You know, sorry. Um, but then we're going to do the same thing a couple hours later with Oklahoma State, and then a couple hours later with Wisconsin and Arizona State, and then we're we're going to be back to where we started. You know, there's only so many, so many spots for these teams to fall out. Um, no, no, you're right. And again, like it depends on how confident you really feel about like, like does Oregon actually have a chance? No, I don't know. But they're still technically on my bubble picture. No, I think I think Oregon's definitely done. Good thing that a USC kind of finished strong because there there was a day last week where it looked like the Pac-12 could actually get two bids, or maybe that was like two weeks ago. But, uh, and then Arizona State got that win over Arizona on the road. USC took care of business against Arizona State. Um, yeah, in, ter- in terms of the Big Ten, I, I mean, I guess I'd pick Purdue to win. They Purdue feels the, the the clear black sheep among the one seeds, right? No like doubt. Alabama, Kansas, Houston—they're all more formidable than Purdue. I've seen people have UCLA as a one, and Purdue as a two. Um, UCLA—I'm not sure even with Jalen Clark how like scary they were. Clark would be a massive, massive blow if he is out for a while. I mean, really aren't aren't kidding this year with it that, that there aren't there aren't any great teams in college basketball because you know I was on the Alabama 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 all you know the past two months basically um and, and and they've had a bunch of close games recently and then we've we've talked about many times how we thought Kansas last year is better than Kansas this year and Kansas last year was overwhelming um and I mean that's kind of the you know when when you looked up at, at the Big Ten on Saturday night, and, and you clicked on the standings page, and seven teams were at 11 and 8. Um, 
the fact that Northwestern could have been the nine seat would have been the nine seat if they lost and the two seat if they won was like incredible. And I, so you went with Michigan State as your team in the middle that you think could potentially. Jerome, that was my pick. Yes. I haven't made my pick yet for this week. I might, might be too late. Hopefully not. Um, but I guess I've I've been drawn to Indiana recently. You know they've had some questionable uh, questionable results as well. But I mean they have a NBA guard and NBA big. Their role allocation seems to be figured out too with Trey Galloway and I mean who would have thought Trey Galloway would be a starter on this team uh, with Cop and Thompson? I guess I'll go with Indiana. Interesting. Yeah, I mean I was ready to jump all in on it after they went on Mackey. But then the way they played was just they just weren't very, very good uh, against Iowa, and that scared me. And they weren't very good against Indiana, I mean, they, or against Michigan, excuse me. They trailed by ten in the second half and rallied past. So, um, yeah, that's a big ten. The ACC has the intrigue of North Carolina. I think Duke is probably playing the best right now, and I think people have gone oh, way too far on Miami. Like Miami, the Miami no, no, I think Miami's a good team. But the Miami could be a title contender stuff. They don't guard. What? They don't play any defense. Yep, they don't guard. They're they undersized. have an explosive perimeter, though. They're, they're I mean, undersized. And, and, and the best team that they've beaten away from home this season is UCF Providence. or Providence. Providence. Yeah. I'm like, not even down on Providence. Come on. But I mean that's well UCF was a road game though. Yeah, Providence was pretty horrible in that game against Miami as well. But um, like I think Miami's a good team. Could they get to this you know sweet 16 elite eight again? Sure. So if they're gonna be a five seed, do you have like a specific twelve seed in mind that uh you know maybe could catch them off guard? I mean I would have a lot of fun watching Oral Roberts versus them. Connor Vanover and Max Acemas. I mean, either Max Acemas versus Isaiah Wong back and forth would be something. No doubt. I think I think the tougher matchup for them would probably be a team that can make the game more of a grind, more physical, right? So, like, would that be Drake? Would that be VCU? Would that be, you know, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to think of another twelve. Who's the last twelve on my sheet? Probably was. Uh, I don't. What's up? I said it probably was Liberty. Uh, but the uh, bracket matrix twelves, the one you Louisiana, will be Char- uh, College of Charleston. Yeah, I mean Charleston would be a tough matchup, but just because they're like very complete. But I don't know. We'll see. I, I think I think that tournament will be fun because of the Carolina specter. I think you got NC State and Pitt that are somehow kind of fringy all of a sudden on the bubble. Um, because when you look at their resume, it's all of a sudden pretty soft in terms of what they've accomplished. And I do think Duke is playing well. Like I, I don't Me too, yeah. I don't necessarily love them as like a wow, that's a team that I want to pick to go to the final four. At plus two fifty, they are the favorite to win the ACC over at Bovada. Roach and Filipowski playing well. They got that, that, that jumbo lineup that they go to, uh, that they start with, right? With with Mitchell the three. Yes. 
I tough tough to argue with their talent level. Um, even as like a six, I mean, if you're an 11 seed, you don't want to see Duke as your six seed. No doubt. <laughs> and if you're a three seed, you don't want to see Duke as your six seed. Yeah. No, like if uh, tr- trying to think of like, I mean, if if Providence is an 11 seed and gets Duke, I would. I'd be petrified, and if I were a Kansas State fan as a three seed or a Marquette fan as a three seed and got Duke, I'd be petrified as well. So. Well, I think, and part of this, Brad, is just kind of the big picture. Like again, we don't love a lot of these teams at the top, but the middle is kind of shakier. Like the, the middle is a little solidified. Like when you're talking about, and this, so this is from my Friday bracket, so things have changed, right? Like I'm gonna read you the six through eight seeds. The six and sevens look really good. Creighton, Duke. Michigan State, Northwestern, Maryland, Illinois, Texas A&M, Iowa State, Kentucky, Arkansas, Iowa, Florida Atlantic. That's six through eight. Like, the things have changed since then. But think about think about that. If you're, you know, Kansas State, your K State, you get a three seed. You're feeling yourself, and your like reward is that you get to play Duke in the second round or Creighton in the second round, two top ten teams in the preseason. Or you get to play Illinois, who's got this incredible ceiling. Kentucky, who is number one in preseason Ken Palm. Or Arkansas, that has three McDonald's All-Americans. Texas A&M, who's playing like one of the ten best teams in the country the last couple of weeks. With all that talent. I mean, even Kentucky is still hit with the injury bug, and they're finding a way. They're grinding out. Reeves is showing up. I mean, it's... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. As people are making the comp with the Kentucky team, the, the the team that got the eight seed in 2014 and went to the championship. I don't buy that personally because, like, I, I think. So that I was the that Harrison was, twins, James Young, and, and Julius Randall. Julius Randall, right? That team was talented. That team had pros. Yeah. This team does not really, but they're talented, and that brings to the SEC where. You know, Bama's been playing with fire consistently. They nearly, nearly stole another one at, on the road at AM and just didn't have the shooting. Uh, AM, 15 and 3, unbelievable conference season. We have Tennessee looming here with without Sakai Ziegler. And then you have this the one team that could maybe steal a bid, that's Vanderbilt. Yeah, we we owe the, the there was at least one person who said, wait, you have Vanderbilt last or, or or second last in the preseason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy who was like Jerry Stackhouse, the best Stackhouse coach ever. Yeah. But you know, I was always a big Liam Robbins guy. I think he's got first team All SEC. I think I saw today. Yeah, uh, he once he got healthy, they've just been different. Which that was that's the, the story of Rick Pitino's life, right? <laughs> if Liam Robbins was healthy, he he'd be a the coach of Minnesota right now. You know, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, honestly, though, look, look, think about it this way. If Vanderbilt didn't smoke that game to a horrible LSU team it, a couple weeks ago, Vandy's 19 and 12, 12 and 6 in the league with some legit wins and like all their bad stuff in the past. You'd be like, that team would be on the bubble. They'd be like AM last year, where like if they go on a run, they're going to get in. Instead, they're probably still auto bit or bust. But that team is playing excellent basketball right now. Absolutely. And it's funny because Doster tried to like ratio me for my like preseason Vanderbilt hate. 
I was like, first of all, Vanderbilt is still worse in Ken Palm than they were in preseason. Number two, Doster's take as to why they'd be good was that their freshmen were really good. So that's Noah Shelby, who has barely played. Um, Malik Dia, who plays like five minutes a game. Lee Dort, who plays like never. I think it's hurt. And then Colin Smith, who's been a, a rotation player, can kind of make shots. That's their freshman. It was not, it was not the freshman that, that got this thing going. It's the fact that Ezra Mignon has been actually solid. Studi and Wright have gotten it going. And Liam Robbins is Liam Robbins. So, I don't know. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt would be one potential bid stealer there. Um, the thing with all these SEC teams yeah. is that, like, they didn't do much. or Like, some of them didn't do much in terms of resume. But they just look so intimidating. They're so athletic. They're so big. But we talked about this in the offseason. Like, the yeah. SEC filled the holes more than anyone else. Yeah, I, I said that the SEC would be the best conference this year. Yeah. Um, which I think they came in, they, they, they finished in third, I believe, in, in the conference uh, rings behind the Big Ten and Big 12. But in terms of postseason, I mean, I, I I feel great about these SEC teams in the postseason. Yeah. And, and that's with, that, that, that struggle is with a really disappointing year from Ole Miss and a very disappointing year from LSU. If those two teams had lived up to the preseason building of like nearly the near, near tournament teams, this would be close to the best conference in the country. And even Kentucky, if they were the you know two seed that we projected in the preseason. Or the sixth seed that they're going to be. I guess you could argue the trade-off of Alabama. I think it has like a three seed in the preseason and they're number one. So um, I guess it all evens out. But, I mean, we were talking about what if Kansas State had to face Duke. I mean, what if Tennessee without Zakai Ziegler gonna have to try to score on a what six ten seven foot seven one front line? Yes, that would not be easy. Um, that it for SEC? Yeah, that's probably good. Um, we'd still have to touch on the Big Twelve and Pac twelve, and then we can wrap up the show. Pac-12, or excuse me, Big 12, not a lot of excitement here. You've got the Mark Adams controversy. That's maybe the most interesting thing is that Texas Tech was like finally turning around and like, oh, whoops, Mark Adams did a racism. He's, I, mean, he's I mean, what in about, I mean, Chris Beard was like the savior of all saviors. Then he leaves. He's like, oh, it wasn't important. It was actually Mark Adams was the guy behind it all. That was like 18 months ago. This is second. They made the Sweet 16 last year. And I I mean, they were ready to. I mean, I, I guess, you know, the first red flag would be when you hear Kerwin Walton's getting all this NIL money and he couldn't even get off the bench at UNC. And you're like, wait, if that guy's getting paid, what what's going on? Uh, you know, probably some of the boosters were like, wait a minute, you, you made me pay all this money for a guy like, you're not even playing? Like, what the hell? Um, and they obviously did not play well this year. Um, despite a late finish, they're going to be like an NIT caliber team. And they spent all that money. Uh, but that's a crazy 
I mean, they were in the Sweet 16 last year. People in the preseason, the three-man we was like, we, we trust Mark Adams implicitly no matter what. And now he's out the door? It is, it is a huge heel turn. He was West Texas tough. What happened? Apparently he was West Texas racist, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, that, that feels like the biggest intrigue, right? I guess Kansas pushing for the number one overall seed. That steam faded when they lost to Texas over the weekend. Texas and Rodney Terry trying to steal the Texas job. I guess there's some intrigue there. But otherwise, like Iowa State locked up its bid. West Virginia locked up its bid. Oklahoma State plays Oklahoma in a rivalry game where Oklahoma can probably eliminate Oklahoma State. But if Oklahoma State wins that game, they're in pretty good shape, I think. So that's interesting. But I'm not, like, overly excited about this league tournament. I feel like I never really am. I don't feel like I usually watch the Big 12 tournament very much. No, because there's no stakes. Right. We've, we've, we've seen all these teams play 100 times. Yes. Pre- previously. This year, the, the league has one bubble team. It's Oklahoma State, where if they lose their first-round game, they're going to have too bad of a record. And if they win the first-round game, we'll see where they go from there. They'll at least have a shot. Um, but, like, there's nothing really to play for. Like, these teams are all really good. We know they're really good. What's, what's going to happen is there's going to be, like, Kansas versus TCU – which, which which we've already seen twice, and at the same time, there's going to be like, you know, oh, Syracuse is making a push. You know, Syracuse, Duke, we'll see if, you know, there's, there's going to be some juicier storyline. It, it, it just feels like the Big 12 tournament, the teams are so good, they're so locked in that there's really no stakes. Yes. Um, so yeah, I'm not, not overly excited about the Big 12? The Pac-12, I do have some interest in. Although USC locking itself in, for the most part, does drop it a little bit. Arizona State, Oregon State. I believe that is Wednesday night. That's that's the same spot. The year that the, the world ended, I believe Colorado was on the bubble. If I'm not mistaken, they played in that game against whoever, Cal or whoever was in last place that year. Um, and lost that one. People don't remember it, obviously, because there was no tournament and the world ended. Um, but maybe Arizona State could, be, you know, face the same fate. 11:30 Eastern tip, playing Oregon State. I think we owe Oregon State a brief apology. I, I thought they'd be the worst power team by far. L- Louisville said, "No, no, we're, we're going to be 100 spots lower than anyone's ever seen before." Uh, and then Cal too went three and 28 or something. Um, but Oregon State's still not good, and a loss would obviously knock Arizona State out. Yes, that is an elimination game for them. They probably need they need to move the needle. They can't just beat Oregon State and move on. Um, they need to move the needle. It would Oregon be a coin flip for them if they lost three seed. I assume is USC. Um, uh, if they beat uh, Oregon State, lose to USC, they're they're a coin flip. I'm not totally convinced they're even a coin flip if they lose that game. Like to me, that would be somewhat clearly out. Hmm. Interesting. Metrics are bad. You'd they did be beat Creighton and Arizona State. Sorry, they, they beat Creighton and Arizona away from home. Yes, those are good wins. 
and, and Michigan. So that, that's a lot of stuff away from home. I am interested, though, especially, again, if, if Clark is out. I do foresee a future where Oregon beats Washington State, beats UCLA, and then is in the championship game. And one is threatening to steal bid. Number two, you know, is at least on the bubble now because of the win over UCLA. A UCLA team that probably isn't, doesn't care that much without Clark. Now, you're, you're buying Oregon more as a sleeper than Washington State. I, I noticed Washington State is flying up the metrics again. I mean, Oregon's more talented. And also, Washington State flying up the metrics is, is Kyle Smith uh, juju, you know? Yes, yeah, what he does. I, I, I think Matt, St. John should Tom hire manipulator. him. Huh? I think St. John should hire him. Well, we'll see. T- tough sell because of the... Well, they made the NIT last year. Will um, they make the NIT this year? I don't know. We have to consult the NIT bracketologists. They're fifth. They're fifty-second in T rank, and obviously they're what, fifth place in the Pac-12. Fifty-fourth uh, in Ken Palm. They won six straight to close the year. And they and they had a lot of uh, adversity with player illness and injury. Um, and obviously Washington State. I think you you dubbed it right. The hardest Power Six job. Um, I'm St. John's. Come on down, Kyle Smith. You, you did well in Columbia. You did well in San Francisco. All very, very tough jobs. I like him. Teams. I like him over the non-Rick options. Yeah, like over Mike Bray and God knows who else. True. I think I'm 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 the only person who's ever said Kyle Smith to St. John's, but. You get to put it on the record. Um, but, yeah, the carousel's heating up. We had a quietish day on Monday. We, I, I, thought, I thought we'd get a few of these mid-major jobs that would open. Haven't yet, but those will all come. Obviously, another Black Monday of sorts comes the day after Selection Sunday, and we'll have some throughout the week. We'll keep you posted on those. I will share what I, can, what I hear and, what, and at least what I can share. Um, this should be a fun week. Enjoy it. You get one of these a year. We'll see you all after Selection Sunday with thoughts on a bracket and what we're going to do with these final 68 teams. Appreciate you joining us at all, as always. Again, Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, a nice review. It does help the show. And we will see you all next week.